when I come up against whiteness, if you will, and white fragility, the conditioning for black folks is to ease and make white people comfortable when that type of stuff rises up in them. And I'm resisting that. Welcome to season two of the Shades of Hope podcast. These are frank conversations between two friends who are committed to the role of the church in the work of racial justice. These conversations will help you understand how Jesus's life and ministry were about justice for all people and will inspire you to actively engage in the work of reconciliation and justice wherever you find yourself. Well, welcome, everyone. We are glad that you're joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. I'm here with my good friend and mentor, Dr. Clarence Moore, who is joining us, as well as a special guest that we have with us today, a good friend and colleague of mine, Miss Hazel Owens. Hazel serves as the associate pastor at my church with me, and she also is a certified marriage and family therapist. And it's just really good for us to have her on the show today, particularly because of the two different ways that she is choosing to minister in her profession, both in therapy and in the local church. And so, Hazel, it's good to have you here with us today. And just take a little bit of time here and tell us a little bit about yourself, but also maybe just share with us how you got from uh, where you were in your professional career to now where you find yourself in your ministry career. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Moore. Thank you both for having me. I just want to make one small clarification just for ethical (laughs) and integrity obligations. I am a pre-licensed marriage and family therapist. I am in training. I hope to be licensed here really soon, but I do work full-time as a marriage and family therapy resident. And then everything else, of course, as Jeff mentioned, working at Ground. So this path kind of chose me, if I'm being completely honest. I have a background in business, uh, a master's in business. I worked in corporate America for many years, left that area, went into not-for-profit, and really it was my own healing journey in mental health and my spiritual journey that kind of led me here. I never sought out to do this kind of work. Never wanted to work at a church, never thought about being a therapist, but God had other plans clearly. So, so here we are, but it was through my process of just healing from childhood wounds, having depression-like symptoms, and a thirst for drawing closer to God that led me here. And so I get to do this work full time in both arenas. Thank you for sharing a little bit of this with us. And I know that we have talked just in the last six to nine months about the different kinds of topics that you find yourself dealing with in the client engagement space. What have you noticed that has changed? And what are some of the situations that you find yourself working through with your clients these days? Yeah, I would say one of the things that really struck me was an uptick in clients coming in for depression 
anxiety related symptoms, a lot of that due to the pandemic. I am trained to think systemically in the world of mental health. And as a systemic therapist, I don't just look at the diagnoses of the person. I honestly don't view my clients through that lens. But as we start to peel back layers and I start to look at things more systemically, what I am realizing is that for many of my clients, not all, but a nice majority of them that come see me, there's a racial trauma or racial identity component attached to the depression-like or anxiety-like or PTSD-like symptoms or full-blown diagnoses that they have. And so the pandemic definitely skyrocketed those rates of depression and anxiety. But I started noticing that, well, wait a minute. And I think that this has been the case for many years, for decades even, but I am noticing that racial trauma is becoming more to the forefront, I would say, of clinicians. And I'll go on a tangent on that. But that's where we are right now. And so I deal with a lot of clients that are struggling with what they have seen over the last 18 months racially, as well as everything else that this collective form of trauma has brought to us by the pandemic. Wow, that's good. I have a question for both of you. Mm -hmm. And number one, Pastor Jeff, what were you after in hiring an African-American female to your congregation in even pre-pandemic? And then I wanted to ask after you kind of share, because I'm not sure you hired her for this kind of therapy work. So just talk a little bit about that, Pastor Jeff. Yeah. And to be clear, these are two separate spaces that Hazel occupies. When she's with us, she is an associate pastor. Very much. (laughs) That's what I thought. And so the therapy space, we try to keep that very clean. She's doing pastoral work at our church. And I will just say, to be honest, you know, Hazel joined our team through her Masters of Divinity program Mm -hmm. and was an intern first. And it was supposed to be just a very Ah. short term sort of check the box kind of thing for her. And what we realized as she continued to participate in some of the pastoral work that we were doing, and particularly with some of the women's pastoral work that we were doing, we just found that there was more and more overlap and gifting and skill that she brought to the table. And we just continued to build that relationship out over time until it became very clear to us, at least, that her influence in our staff and in our congregational life was too important to let go. And so we needed to offer her a job. And so for us, it's really twofold. It's her being a female, but then also being an African-American female, just in terms of where we believe God's calling us, we believe Hazel's voice is essential in helping us move the ball down the field in terms of realizing our vision for our church as a church that is focused on reconciliation in all ways. So that's sort of how we have continued to grow in our relationship. Well, I think that's really intriguing because a lot of churches are trying to figure out how they can reposition their ministry to be more sensitive to social justice and racial equity. And so what I hear you saying is that first foremost, Hazel had just the skill level as an individual, and then you hired Hazel. And she can preach. Yeah, and she can preach. preach. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) the George Floyd thing hit, and the whole racial storm 
began to flourish in our culture and, of course, affecting our churches. And But Hazel was already sitting on your team. Wonderful. Yep. So, Hazel, as an African-American female, I know that you came from a, a rather large African-American church, mm-hmm. and yet you did your internship there at Common Ground. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit, how did you end up there at Common Ground? And what is that yeah. been like as a, can I just say, black female in a white environment? Yes, go ahead, because that's what I would call it. I would say black female. So <laughs> mm-hmm. we're right aligned, Pastor Moore. So yeah, one of the requirements of the divinity program at Christian Theological Seminary is to do supervised ministry or SCOF. And they encourage students to do their SCOF or their supervised ministry if they're not already working at a church, they encourage them to do it in a different church context. Uh. And so there was a part of me, if I'm going to be completely honest, that really wanted to buck up against that. And it's because of my own source of comfort. I am a lay minister at Eastern Star Church here in Indianapolis. I still serve very heavily there. And I wanted that internship experience to either be there or at another church that I was already familiar with. But then after understanding and taking a step back, the intention behind that encouragement from the program is to broaden our view, right? It's to give us different experiences of church ministry life. So... Now, this is where I did buck a little bit. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I am a woman who learned to embrace the power of her voice. And so I shared with them that, okay, I understand that I can go to a different church for this internship experience, but I need two things to be met. I need to be a part of a church that actually loves Jesus. Amen. That believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Not just like Jesus as the prophet, but actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah that, you know. So I made that very clear. And the other condition was that I needed to be at a church that affirmed women in leadership apart from serving in children's ministry or hospitality. I was very clear on what my role is in ministry. And I knew that before coming into seminary, I was called to teach. I had no idea about the preaching thing, but I knew I was called to teach. And I had been doing that already before entering seminary. I've been leading in a certain capacity as a volunteer at my church. You know, this was long before coming into seminary. So I needed those two things to be met. Well, the person over the supervised ministry at the time was like, oh, okay, well, Let's put our heads together and figure this out. And I said, well, figure it out. Because if those two things are not met, it's going to be a wasted time for me and that church. It's not going to be a good relationship. So anyway, long story short, I get word of Common Ground and I looked into it. I saw an old video of Jeff K at the time. And I was like, okay, theologically, cool. I mean, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. I saw some women elders on their website and I said, okay, well, you know, I think this may work. So went through the process. Again, my intention was to be there just for that one year. Right. And let me just say this. When I say I never wanted to work at a church, it didn't matter what kind of church. Right. 
I didn't care about the ethnic makeup. I never felt called, at least I just didn't want to work on staff at anyone's church. Wow. Mm -hmm. Let me come in, teach the word. Let me love on some women and empower them. I always saw my ministry being outside of the church with counseling and some preaching and teaching, integrating those worlds. I never saw it inside the four walls. And so here we are. But as a black woman working part-time in a pastoral role at a predominantly white church, there were and there are some challenges for me culturally. I feel fully supported from staff and from leadership. And some of the disconnects for me has been culturally. And some of that is my stuff that I fully recognize that I need to work through. And some of it is the lack of awareness you know, and just kind of where we are and where I think leadership is trying to grow this church in the area of justice. The thing about it is, is that this is a long haul, right? Mm -hmm. This is not something that folks who have never had to pay attention to these things that now because of what happened in the murder of George Floyd and countless of others, as the world shut down and forced people to open their eyes, that now within you know, months folks are going to get it, right? Right, right. So that's my reminder to myself. But for me, it's been quite interesting when I work in a context full time dealing with racial trauma and then realizing very early on in my internship experience, wait a minute, I have some unresolved racial trauma. So this was before pandemic. This was before the murder of George Floyd that... I had a reckoning within that first year interning that, wait a minute, there's some stuff coming up for me that's centered around racial trauma. So I had to go back to my therapist Hmm. and say, hey, um, (laughs) this is some stuff I'm feeling. And my therapist looked at me and said, so we ready to talk about race now? I've been waiting on this day. Hmm. Wow. Oh, you, you knew this was coming? Like, (laughs) right? But of course he did. (laughs) I just wasn't ready to deal with it at the time that, you know, I think he tried to some years ago. And so it was being in this context at Common Ground where those things started to come up and I had to do my own healing in that area. Wow. So I hope that gets at your question a little bit. Absolutely. That was uh, so much to unpack there. I'm going to let Pastor Jeff jump in there because uh, (laughs) there's so much to unpack there. Well, and without getting into too much, you know, I want you to feel as comfortable as you feel. Mm -hmm. But when you start to think about those spaces that you occupy and how they overlap, what are some of the ways in which, because I think it can be easy for people to think, well, Common Ground has hired an African-American woman. Therefore, Common Ground has achieved their goal of justice, right? Yeah. And I would say, even in our conversations, that hiring a black woman has only pointed out how far we have to go. Oh, my Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's not the end of the journey, but it's the beginning of the journey. It's the beginning, for sure. And so I think just having you articulate where you still see like some of the gaps and like you would even say, they're not intentional necessarily, but they are places where the cultural disconnect affects you in very real ways, mm-hmm. but may not be even known to those of us who worship with you every Sunday. No, absolutely not. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm glad you named that, Jeff, because that has been one of the recent things that has been 
wrestling within me, right? There's two narratives that one could point to, right? When they go onto the website, either one, oh, Common Ground is so progressive and they have really embraced this value of justice and they're there, right? They're doing it. Look, they have a black pastor. And then the other narrative, oh, well, they got a token. Yep. Right? Right. Here's the thing. I, as one person... (laughs) I can't get ahead of every last one of these narratives that may come up for people. So while some may look at the website and see me there and they find some very extreme inspiration and decide, well, I'm joining in because I've been ticked off at my last church and I am upset with my family and this church is doing it because, look, they have a black female pastor. And then you got some other like, oh, well, We got a token black girl again. Here's another white institution that has their token black, you know, person, right? I can't get ahead of all those narratives. But one of the things that I have to remind myself is that there's a part of me that still longs to help my people. When I say my people, I'm talking ethnically, like my people, right? The reality is from a spiritual standpoint, y'all are all my people. Right. Right. That's right. So. This is where God has me in this particular season. On the flip side, I don't want people believing some misperception that Common Ground has somehow arrived at this justice piece, right? The reality is, to your point, Jeff, no, you're just getting started. And so the overlaps for me sometimes come in in the weekly microaggressions that I experience that folks don't even realize that they're microaggressions sometimes. And there are some days I have energy to call that out and and say, Hey, no, you can't touch my hair. No, you can't touch anything on my personhood. No, you can't say this to me. Right. And then there are other days where I just don't have the energy the other piece in that is the reflection of worship in that I don't see me in worship, yep. you know, and not just about who's up there, but in the songs that we sing and some of the things that we include as part of, you know, our worship experience, that could be a disconnect for me. But really, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, the microaggressions is probably the biggest and that could be the most challenging, which keeps a guard up, which is unfair, you know, so I'm working through that, but that's not on me to do that kind of education. And Jeff and I have had several conversations about that. Just real briefly, could you describe, define maybe what a microaggression is just for those of us who may not be fully aware of this part of interaction? Yeah. So I don't want to give a textbook definition. I'd rather just give examples, right? And and I'm going to give real life examples. So you know, oh, you speak so well. Mm. Like, that's a microaggression. Yeah. You know, it's this assumption that because I'm a black person or what have you, that, you know, I can't articulate, right? So right. that's not a compliment. <laughs> or right. some can be even a micro insult where one could be fully paying attention whenever there's like some sort of workshop or preaching space or teaching space to any of the other pastors who are white male. But when this black woman stands up to, do the same things when all of a sudden not paying attention, we get up and leave looking at our phone because it lacks that humility of learning from this black woman, right? Yep. The arbitrarily just coming up 
touching my hair or sniffing my hair or just asking weird questions. You know what I mean? That And right. so that's the kind of, those are the examples. And so, yeah, I would say for those who don't know what a microaggression is, there's Google. Yep. So just go look that up. And, yep. and there you go. Yeah. And so it speaks to the difficulty and the challenge we have as well-meaning followers of Jesus trying to mitigate this divide and this gap when it comes to even Christians, this racial gap, this insensitivity, this unwillingness to really see each other as one, as brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And here we have a congregation that's striving to get there, but yet we see how difficult it is on both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I love, Hazel, when you say that as African-American female or as a Black female, and my case is a Black pastor, how you too have to deal with your own baggage mm-hmm. and our own preconditioning as to how we respond mm-hmm. to someone getting up when it's time for us to preach. And sometimes they don't see us as they may see what they're used to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I intentionally push myself to take up space. Yeah. So explain that a little bit. Yeah. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Give us a little bit of explanation on that. Yeah. So. (laughs) All right, Jeff, here it is. (laughs) So when I first first got there, let me just give context. My first time being in a predominantly white space, I was 13 years old. Hmm. We moved from Gary, Indiana to a predominantly white high school in the countryside of Vandalia. Well, Vandalia, Michigan is just country, period. But this is Southern Michigan, okay? (laughs) Very rural area. And then to Elkhart, Indiana. Wow. And that's where I first started experiencing racism. Yeah. Blatantly, you know, but I didn't, you know, I'm I'm a kid. I don't really understand it fully. I remember through the last of my middle school and high school years, and even in corporate America, assimilating to the dominant white culture, mm-hmm. wanting to fit in, wanting to not stand out right. as a teenager, trying to make friends with people who don't look like me. Right. And there's so much there that we don't have time for today. So as I started to develop language to some of those earlier experiences, I started to find liberation. Language is liberating. And so as I started to become more liberated into who I am, and not only that, whose I am, who I'm created to be, I started embracing components of myself that is just who God made me. And that means the skin, this curly hair, all of it, right? So when I started at Common Ground, I'm immersed into a predominantly white space. These emotions are starting to come back up. I'm going through therapy to deal with it. Come to find out, yep, we need to heal from some of these racial wounds. And going into that space, I remember like every day telling myself, you are not going to assimilate to this culture. You are not going to try to blend in. Mm-hmm. You are not going to strip down who you are to serve here. 
like I'm literally coaching myself this every time I would enter staff meeting until I started getting comfortable, you know, and building trust. But mm-hmm. every time I entered the space, that's what I would coach myself. And I did that for like at least the first year that I was there. Wow. Yeah. And so when I say it, I intentionally take up space, I'm not watering down who I am and who God created me to be because it may make white people uncomfortable. When I am walking, I'm not going to intentionally hurry up and move out of the way because somebody else walking past me all of a sudden doesn't see that a human being is (laughs) walking at them and they feel like they shouldn't move. Right. Right. I am not going to not say certain things or not push back or I try to resist when I have come up against. And this is not just at Common Ground. This has been in the counseling field and everywhere else. When I come up against whiteness, if you will, and white fragility, the conditioning for black folks is to ease and make white people comfortable when that type of stuff rises up in them. And I'm resisting that intentionally find myself pushing back. So that's what I mean by taking up space, that I am who I am. I'm flawed, yes, and I'm working on those things, right? I'm a work in progress. We all are. But I'm not apologizing for who God created me to be. And I'm not watering that down for any institution. Yeah. And I think, as I look at oftentimes, white pastors who are trying to take steps toward where Common Ground has decided to start down that road under Pastor Jeff's leadership, they often ask, what would that look like for Black people? And I think what Hazel just described is critical, that when Black people get into that context, that it's not about assimilation. It really is about them being who they really are. And I think that's a real challenge for a lot of white congregations who think they want to have Black members, but as long as they are like us, we're we're safe. And so I think it speaks to the leadership of Pastor Jeff that you've been there how many years now, Hazel? Uh, Has it been four, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I think four. Yeah, and they haven't run you out of there because you... (laughs) 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 Pastor Jeff, you might want to share, share some stories. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sure you had some closed door sessions. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and we do. My door is always open and we have lots of conversations and we talk about the reality of being a black woman in a white space. No, I'm talking about white folk coming to you. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The unfortunate part is oftentimes they just kind of slide out the back door <laughs> uh, without the conversation, which is unfortunate as well, too, because mm-hmm. it's like yeah. these spaces, this is the early church, right? I mean, we are historically a diverse group of people who intentionally in the United States became homogeneous. Yeah. But historically, the church was made up of all kinds of people that had to try to figure out how to get along and love each other across ethnic, social, class, gender lines. You know, that most of the New Testament was written to try to help people get along with each other in their new lives as Christian. And we have created in our world a way to not have to do that. Yeah, it started way back in the Grecians yeah. and the Jews weren't getting along. And, yeah. they, and the Grecian widows felt yeah. like that the Jewish pastors were, were paying favorites. And so uh, who was it told them to go out and was it James? Peter. Peter, yes. 
they said, hey, you guys go out and look among yourselves and find men of diverse whatever is going to meet the needs. So we don't want this division in the church. And from that very moment, the inception of the church, we've been struggling with what Dr. King called the beloved community, mm. yep. where everyone is judged by the content of the character and not the color of their skin. And so as an African-American woman, I have to say both because, you know, mm-hmm. us black folks, we go by different titles. Yep. I use African-American too. I use them both interchangeably. Yes. Uh, you get a yeah. double whammy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And so, yeah. yeah. And so speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is that when I accepted the role as associate pastor, one thing that I knew, this is a season that God has called me to. I don't know how long this season is going to be. Right. I'm truly at a place where I want whatever God wants for me and trying to move by the leading of the spirit. One thing that I knew going in and even being ordained recently as a minister Because I'm female, there will be barriers. My ordination, if I'm being completely 100% honest with y'all, and I love Pastor Johnson Sr., I really do. And I truly do feel called to ministry. And I think that that call has been evident and proven. Yeah. Ordination, getting ordained was a last, I wouldn't say it was a last minute decision, but it was definitely something that I put off. And I finally said, okay, if I am going to do this, I have to remove as many barriers or reduce as many barriers as possible. And so I got ordained because there are churches, black, (laughs) white, (laughs) and any other color in between that still have issues with women leading. Right. And... I wanted to make sure that all papers are there. Mm -hmm. I'm seminary trained. I am licensed and ordained. And I'm on my way to licensing in the marriage and family therapy field. I have four different degrees behind my name. And I don't say that as a brag or boast. The unfortunate reality is, is that I always have to come with a resume. Yeah. I always have to lay out to show that myself approved, right? I do believe in studying to show thyself approved. But as a female, there's barriers. Yeah. And not just men not affirming women in leadership, but I even have heard it from women. And here's the sad reality is that I was one of those women <laughs> until God started calling me. And it's because I've been under theology in my early formative years that women can't do this. So there's that piece. And then I'm a black woman. Mm -hmm. I remember being completely just spent and frustrated one day and I can't remember the context. So it was just, it was just a day and I was frustrated and just exhausted and tired. And I was venting to my mom. And I was leaving Common Ground and I was venting to my mom and I was just like, I don't know how much longer I got in me for this. Like, this is just becoming too much. And whatever it was, I, you know, told her what happened. And one of the things my mother said to me was, well, child, you already know 
white folks don't like listening and learning from black folks. And that was that's her context. <laughs> that's her truth. And her encouragement to me was, you still show up and do what you're called to do. And there are going to be folks that's not going to like it, but that's their problem. That's not yours. Amen. That comes with the territory. And so, yes, as a black woman, this intersectionality that's there, it poses a lot of barriers for people. So when I took the job, I knew that not everyone would allow me to be their pastor. But here's the thing. That's for you, Pastor Moore, and that's for you too, Pastor Jeff. Absolutely. Not every one of your congregants will allow you to be their pastor. That's right. That's right. And so I know that. And maybe those reasons may be different across the three of us. And in a lot of ways, they're similar. But I know for a fact that my ethnicity and my gender poses barriers for people. But I can't let that stop whatever God is calling me to say or do. And take that up with Jesus. They ain't got nothing to do with me. <laughs> so, Pastor Jeff, as I see Minister Hazel, and I don't know what her official title is there at Common Ground. Is it minister or pastor? She's associate pastor. Associate pastor. Hazel, she's a trailblazer. She's a trailblazer in this arena of justice. And she's a trailblazer in two ways. Number one, being an African-American female in a predominantly white context. I'm sure there are others. But she's not assimilating. She is actually being herself. And that is a, that's a trailblazing journey that I so admire and we are grateful. And, and, and I like to say this too, Pastor Jeff. I know that Hazel is also kind of our coordinator between our two churches. She kind of keeps our <laughs> being right. the bridge component and collaboration glued together. And so, Pastor Jeff, from your perspective, how valuable is Hazel to you in that arena? Well, the thing that I appreciate most about Hazel's voice in our church is that she's willing to tell us the truth. Good. And I just think the gift that she offers is knocking on my door and saying, hey, so I got to tell you what happened. She is living fully as herself and wants our congregation to grow mm -hmm. and is willing to be a part of that formation process as hard as it is for her. It's way more costly for her than it is for me in this process. And so the thing that I just so appreciate is her willingness to tell us the truth and to do so because we know she loves us. Mm. We know she cares about the greater work that God wants to do in our congregation. I know that she has a vision for what could be of us mm -hmm. if we continue down this road. And if we don't come to a place where we just say, nope, it's too hard, we're going to stop. And so because she brings that energy and effort and commitment to us in this season, like she said, for this season, it's just invaluable, just the influence that she has. In addition, She's a fantastic teacher of the Bible and preacher of the word. So, I mean, like in addition to the other good things that, that I believe she does, which oftentimes are just behind the scenes and unseen, but she has a lot of influence in making sure that we stay true to what we say we believe God's called mm -hmm. us to. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome. And from Amen. our perspective here at New Era Church, seeing a sister in that role at Common Ground gives us a sense of your commitment and Common Ground Church's commitment to us starting down this road together in social justice. So having a sister, one whom is very qualified and bona fide and on fire for Jesus, helps my team 
really see common ground as a viable partner as we go down this road together in social justice. And so we mm-hmm. are just blessed. Hazel has preached and taught at our church. I think she's going to be on the docket in November to do some of that. And so we just love where God has taken our two churches. And as Hazel has articulated, it is a difficult journey. It's a challenging mm-hmm. journey, and we're going to lose some soldiers along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we thank God for Hazel's work and her trailblazing that we see going on right now. So we are so grateful. I hope that our audience enjoyed this very frank and transparent conversation with Associate Pastor Hazel there at the Common Ground Church here in Indianapolis, Indiana. She is a trailblazer. And every predominantly white congregation would do well to have the posture that the Common Ground Church has. If you really are seriously going down this road of trying to be the beloved community and you're really ready to do the hard work of social justice, finding an individual like Minister Hazel that can do that work for you will Mm. take you a long way. And, you know, my favorite words is one day as we stand before the Lord, we want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. That's why we're having these very challenging conversations. Minister Hazel, thank you again for being here with us. And we're going to let you have the final words. Bless you both. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share my truth and <laughs> my transparency <laughs> and this space that you all have created and I just pray that not only this episode but the episodes before and the episodes coming after I pray that it's a blessing I pray that something was shared today that pierces the hearts and so I really appreciate being here today thank you both thanks Hazel thanks Hazel thank you Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. We would like to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and questions at shadesofhopepodcast at gmail.com. That's shadesofhopepodcast at gmail.com. We would also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rate us wherever you access this podcast. Thank you again and may God bless you as you follow Jesus and strive to make this world a better place for all of God's children.